Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Friday, September the 15th. And welcome to our commentary. Let me let me begin by uh, saying Happy Independence Day to our friends in Mexico, our Mexican friends. Uh, today, actually, it's September 16th, so it'd be Saturday. But it sort of begins on Friday night, the night before. They start getting together and they got parties and they have something called El Grito, which is at midnight. And then it goes into September 16th. And, you know, a lot of people celebrate it a lot of different ways. Here in 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 the North Texas area, there's a lot of restaurants with a lot of signs and all of that. Uh, so happy Independence Day to our friends uh, down in Mexico. I know that we have a few who who watch the video and we want to, we hope they enjoy it. We hope they enjoy it. They're, you know, they're going to have a big presidential election next July. So I'm sure pretty soon they're, their focus is going to be on the election and the candidates and all of that coming up. We'll be doing some some videos on that topic. Uh, we'll have some guests and so on down the road to talk about uh, the Mexican election. But today, let's just wish everybody in Mexico happy Independence Day, uh, September 15th and September 16th. I got a couple of topics I want to get into having to do with the U.S.-Mexico border. But let me begin by uh, talking about the Paxton trial. Attorney General Paxton has a trial underway here in Texas. They began deliberations today, meaning that it, it passed to the Senate, where the Senate will be voting. They need two, two-thirds or 20 votes. They're not going to get them, in my opinion, unless something dramatic happens. They're not going to get it. I think he will survive uh, the trial and return. As attorney general, uh, whenever he does, I'm not sure what the time frame for that is. I uh, did not watch every minute of the trial, but I think the consensus from what I'm hearing is that the Paxton defense was a lot better than the prosecution. It, it just seems to me that uh, the Paxton defense was much better at uh, you know attacking all of the accusations doesn't mean that the accusations are not real or that they're not serious. But uh, I think the Paxton defense created questions that I believe will give the senators uh, the avenue or the way to vote no on a conviction. And then we will move on to other issues. Uh, I think the governor will be happy when this is over because he wants to do another session on school choice. Uh, there are also some big cases. We'll talk about those in a second, uh, dealing with the border. So I think that the, everybody should be happy that uh, we're going to finally have a a permanent attorney general, whether it's Mr. Paxton returning or somebody replacing him. But I think the, the state actually needs one, uh, needs a attorney general at the moment. And even though I've been critical of attorney general Paxton, I will tell you, I think he's done a very good job as attorney general in these cases that he's been winning against the federal government. Uh, you know, he, it's it, he's done. He's done it. He's put together some some very good cases and a very good approach. So I think you'll be back soon unless uh, something dramatic happens in that uh, in those Senate deliberations. I, I don't think they'll get the 20 votes and uh, we can go back to normal times uh, in Texas uh, again. So the Paxton trial, I don't think they'll get the 20 votes uh, on that one. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, I put a post over at the American Thinker 
on Friday morning about the uh, about the UN report. The United Nations just issued a report about the U.S.-Mexico border, and it's not a surprise to me, but uh, they wrote a report saying that it was the most dangerous or one of the most dangerous places in the world. And again, that's not a shock to any of us who've been paying attention. The situation on the border is horrific. I, I just don't know how else to explain it. It's not immigration. This is not asylum. This is completely out of control. And the Biden administration has allowed it to get out of control. And so you have basically criminal elements who are heavily involved in, in the border. I was talking to uh, some people from Venezuela who were telling me, you know, the money they had to pay to to get to the border and, you know, the, the whole process. I mean, there's a whole system in place that brings you to the border. And I think it was Robert Kennedy Jr. who said that uh, these criminal elements have become like travel agencies. They'll move you from wherever you are to, to the border, and then they tell you what you have to say to get into the United States. That's not immigration. That's not the way a border should be. So I'm not surprised that the United Nations uh, came up with that report. I I'm not surprised. If anybody is, then they're not, paying, they're not paying attention. The other issue with the border is these barriers that the governor put on the river to stop the, the human trafficking. Now, These barriers were challenged in the courts. The first judge said they had to be removed. The, the governor then took it to an appeal court, uh, appeals court, I should say, and that's where it is right now. But the judge there said, no, they can stay. They can stay during appeal. Now, I don't know if that's a victory for Texas. It's a little victory in the sense that they don't have to be removed, but I'm not sure if it's a long-term victory, but It is a victory in this sense. It will allow Texas to make its case to the appeals court. And the case that Texas is making, it's a very sound case. I mean, to me, it's very sound, uh, the case that Texas is making. Texas is saying, we understand that the border is a federal matter. We're not challenging that. We're not challenging that issue. What we are saying is, that the federal government is not fulfilling its responsibility to protect the border. And as a consequence of that negligence on the part of the federal government, we have a humanitarian crisis on the border. Again, the UN agrees with that in their report. And at the same time, we have a serious economic crisis on the border. Ask uh, the mayor of New York City, Uh, about the economic crisis on the border. I mean, not just New York City. Chicago has the same problem. I just read that the city of Chicago has a huge deficit. They have no idea how they're going to pay for all these migrants. They have no idea. New York City has the same problem. Huge deficits, and they have no idea how they're going to be able to, to solve this problem. So, you know, Texas will argue in the courts that they're not trying to do the federal job but the federal government is not doing its job. And I think that's a persuasive argument when you look at the facts, when you look at the facts on the ground, when you look at what's happening on the border. I mean, I was watching the TV earlier, I guess around noon. I usually watch the news around noon. Uh, and I was watching this. And you have people just literally just crossing the border, just crossing the border. I mean, there's, uh, they're walking the river. I guess that's not a very deep 
part of the river, I assume. And they're walking over to the Texas side. And you have to ask yourself a question. You have to ask, uh, ask yourself a question. And that is, how is this good for anybody? How is this good for the migrants? They're risking their lives coming. Again, the, the UN report that I mentioned a few minutes ago confirms that. How is that helping Texas? It's not. We have to pay the costs for these people. Uh, I was watching another interview on television, and somebody was talking about the mayor of Yuma, Arizona. The mayor of Yuma, Arizona says he can no longer handle this. The hospitals are full. Everything in Yuma, Arizona is full. So these towns on the border, whether in Texas or Arizona or New Mexico, are being just overwhelmed by these people. And the results are economic problems, simply unsustainable situations on, on the border. And of course, the governor then sent these people to New York and they're freaking out up in New York about this because they're saying, hey, we cannot handle this. Well, if New York cannot handle 20,000 people or 30,000 people, whatever the number is, how is El Paso going to handle that? El Paso is a city, I think, of a half a million people. Del Rio, Texas, has a population of 15,000 people. How are they going to handle this? Uh, Eagle Pass has a population of 29,000 people. How are they going to handle it? So, again, this whole situation has completely exploded and is out of control. And I think, I think that's the reason that, that Texas is, be allowed, is going to be allowed to make its case uh, to an appeals court. In the end... In the end, the courts might just say, you know, Texas, this is a federal matter. It may come down real hard on, on the federal government and leave it at that. But at least the governor and the state of Texas will be able to make its point. This is no longer about immigration. This is what I keep telling people. This is not about immigration on the border. This is not about asylum. This is about a chaotic situation. And whenever you break down, whenever you have a, a breakdown in order, what you end up with is the situation we're watching right now, chaotic situation that is costing money, costing lives, and creating an unsustainable, unsustainable situation on the border. So we'll keep an eye on, on this case right now uh, between Texas and the federal government over those barriers on the, on the border. Quick note uh, on this day in history, Gaylord Perry was born on this day in 1938. Gaylor Perry, of course, one of the major league pitchers that I grew up watching. He pitched in the majors from the 60s to the early 80s. He won 314 games, which is not an easy thing to do. He retired with a 3.11 ERA, which is a very good, a very good number for a starting pitcher over that uh, many seasons. He was the Cy Young in the American League and the Cy Young in the National League as well. But he's well known for one thing. You know, if you mention Gaylord Perry's name to anybody, they're going to say the spitball. And that's <laughs> that's what Gaylord Perry was known for. He threw the spitball. And he had, I think, I honestly, I think 90% of the time he was just getting in the batter's heads. But uh, that's what he was known for. Gaylord Perry and uh, the spitball, as they used to. <laughs> As they used to call it, if you if you would watch Gaylor Perry pitch, his hands would be moving all over. And frankly, he was freaking out the batters because I think 99 percent of the time he wasn't throwing anything. He was just freaking out uh, the batter. But he was a great pitcher, great pitcher through a lot of innings 
through a lot of complete games. Geller Perry, born on this day in 1938, passed away just last year, uh, 2022. His brother, Jim, also played in the major leagues. He was a pretty good pitcher, too. His brother, Jim, pitched uh, with the Minnesota Twins. Gaylord Perry pitched with a bunch of different teams, but his best years were with San Francisco and uh, with Cleveland. He pitched in Texas. He pitched uh, for the Rangers, I think, one or two seasons as well, toward the end of his career. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.